You're listening to Mastering Retention, presented by UserWise. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Mastering Retention podcast. Uh, today, we are uh, super excited to have Hadrian Samrud on with us. Uh, hopefully I got your name right, Hadrian. Um, you know, if you'd like, I'd, I'd love to hear a little bit about your background and how you got into the, the gaming industry. Uh, so hi everyone. So yes, uh, I'm Hadrian. Uh, thanks Tom for inviting me on the podcast. Great opportunity. Thank you. Uh, me, uh, yes. So me, um, big gamer for since like forever, <laughs> uh, always wanted to work on games. Uh, actually I started doing games when I was a little kid, like seven, eight or seven, I was working on AP, RPG Maker at the time. I don't know if you guys know this, this engine. Uh, so making quick games. And then at some point I, I studied game design. So many, many years later, like 10 years later, I studied game design. So uh, initially I'm a game designer for a normal game, for console game, AAA. But uh, I was always very, you know, system focused and balancing focus. So I really love numbers and stuff like this. And uh, so this led me to, uh, and you know, to working on mobile games. My first company was a, was a startup uh, and we made a farming game at the time. Uh, it sort of half failed, but it's, it's, it's okay. Uh, we learned a lot and it was great. Uh, and I was I was helping them doing uh, balancing and game economy and this kind of this type of stuff. So this was the first. Then I joined Ubisoft. Uh, this was uh, where you worked on a game called Hangry Dragon. I don't know if you know this game. Uh, great game. And uh, same. I was doing game economy. I was doing live ops. I was really helping them. And next, I joined a company called GSN Games. Worked on social social casino. So like. A, 180 turn totals. It was great to actually work with a different audience. I think that this would, this is actually the subject. Uh, it was very different to work with those players that, that like uh, this, you know, it's very, very different from arcade action, obviously. And, yeah. and I'm, I, I recently joined a new company, a new challenge. So I'm really, really hoping to, to bring also this company, my, my knowledge and my experience. Yeah. So you are a very experienced PM and game designer. Uh, for mobile games, that that's awesome. What if you had to pick one game that you played growing up that like influenced you the most? What do you think that would be? Mm, played growing up. Uh, so when I was a kid, I played a lot of Kingdom Hearts. That would be the first one that uh, that jumped to my mind. But um, what really changed a lot for me was World of Warcraft. To be honest, I was playing since Vanilla. Yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> Everyone has his weaknesses. Uh, so I've, I, I've played, uh, it's like 2008. I was a little teenager at the time. Uh, Vanilla, Burning Crusade, and then I stopped for some reason. I don't know why. I didn't do War, Wrath of the Lich King. But I recently started playing again with my, with my girlfriend, uh, with Legion. We did the BFA, uh, Battle for Azeroth, and we're waiting for Shadowland. At the time of this recording, we're still waiting, right? <laughs> so yeah, Shadowland incoming. I I, uh, I think I played in, in BC a little bit, and then I played for a couple expansions, and I stopped and recently was kind of hooked again. A few of my friends started playing again as they get ready for Shadowlands, so we'll, we'll see. I'm, I'm not uh, as into it as I used to be, mostly because I don't have time, but um, I feel like you can learn so much from World of Warcraft. They do so many things right, um, and just... Yeah. 
the way that they've changed like the the first time user experience is, is really fascinating to me. Yeah. Actually but, yeah, uh, you wanted to to do some articles of discussion about what if WoW was really a free to play game, they I think they need to learn and change a lot. Because they don't their live ops is not up to you know to to speed, I think. So they, they can they can improve for sure. Yeah. Cool. Well, um, you know, a topic that has really come to light lately, and I feel like a lot of people have had questions about, um, you know, especially in the context of mobile free-to-play games, um, you know, you hear a lot of people talking about being data-driven. But, you know, at the same time, anytime you're making games, like, you should be creative, you're, you're making entertainment, you're trying to you know, create something fun. Um, and, you know, I, I feel like there's kind of a, a conflict where people feel like it can't really be data, you know, driven and data oriented while also being creative and stuff. Um, and so I thought that might just be a really great topic that we could explore today. Um, so, you know, maybe we'll just start kind of stepwise. You know, if I was to ask you, what does it actually mean to be data driven? Um, in a you know free to play mobile game setting. So yeah, so this, this the stuff topic is huge. Obviously, uh, I started you know brainstorming a little bit, and it's it's a big <laughs> big topic. Uh, being data driven is basically uh, that your decision are highly influenced by what you can learn from your players. That uh, doesn't mean that you take decision. You your, the decision are dictated by your players or by they what they're doing, but their action can hint, you know, what you're supposed to do, or what you could improve. Uh, this, so what I noticed is like, it highly depends on what stage of the project are you. If you're in production or pre-production, just thinking of a project, or if you're already in soft launch or even live, the data-driven doesn't mean the same thing. This is, for me, for me, it's, it's the first stuff that I noticed. The, when you're in pre-production, you don't have very really hard data, so you're more looking in the market and you're looking to other games, other genre, or you can maybe ask questions to your players. I, or I personally called some of my, some of my players directly to <laughs> ask them questions. Good old days on, in the startup. That was okay because I learned a lot by then. And this was that data-driven decision because I, even if the data was small, it was still a good indication of what we could be doing. And when you're live already, yeah, you have a uh, data analyst that will give you uh, issues. Most of the time it's issues, like something doesn't go right or you need to improve <laughs> something. And this is where you need to, uh, you, need, you, you, will be start, you will start to make decision and to, to take actions based on this. Like, yeah, we need to improve tension. We need to improve, uh, the tutorial doesn't, it, we can you know, improve our tutorial so we can get a higher D1 retention or something like this. Or, or D7 do or you whatever you example. Doing. Yeah, do you have an example of uh, an issue that was brought to you and kind of the approach that you took and maybe ultimately what you guys ended up doing to fix that or solve that issue? Yeah. Past, past project, uh, not the current one. Uh, we we had an issue with the first time user experience with the tutorial, and most of the time you you have a checklist of stuff that you need, you need to check. You have you know the is it tech related? Is it uh, brand or um, UA related? Like you, your audience doesn't end, doesn't like what you the people you're you're buying basically they are not interested yep. in what they're getting at the end. So there's a difference between your marketing and and the actual game. 
and this and then you 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 land in the the realm of of game design which is is the tutorial too long is so we had this issue with the tutorial too long or it was in, in our case it was difficulty spike the game was too hard at the beginning and people were not getting into it and it was not smooth you know the experience was not smooth at the beginning mm. so we fixed it basically uh adding uh, you know uh, more more hp or stuff like this you know you can add uh, extra helpers or stuff like stuff like this to to smoothen the experience and this is the other trick this is the trick we improve the the tutorial so we improve all the one because more people were reaching the stage where where we can call it no, no. The next stage was D one, basically. How did you how did you figure out that it was too hard or too long? What did we you tested. look at to understand? That? So you know when you have an issue when you when you have an issue, it's very doing free to play games. It's a very iterative process. That's it. Like this, no one even Supercell doesn't know right out of the gate. You know you're supposed to do that because that's the issue. So when you so when we excluded all the tech and uh, UA and stuff like this related issues, we sat down, we played the game, we played the tutorial, played, we played, we played, and then uh, we we came up with a couple of hypotheses, and we A/B tested it. So we say, okay, let's do a couple of tests, and uh, we'll see where where it goes. And uh, there was one variant that was actually much more much better. So we say, okay, so this this might be. Uh, potential solution so we went for this and this actually improved so we're good but you know tutorial is actually something that you knew you 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 keep changing and you keep iterating mm -hmm. uh, with the you know across the lifetime of the game so but in our case it was the, the we had a step that was going down in the funnel uh, and yep. this this fixed the issue it was that's great. awesome so when you talk about a b testing are there any like tools out there that you use in-house stuff or you know anything that you'd recommend for folks that are maybe kind of new to doing that sort of testing uh, most of the stuff i worked with but was in-house tools so we we actually the one we created that we didn't have and the other one i i landed in the company and we had it i used the third party called swerve that this this one was mm. good this one worked for pop-up A-B testing, you know, showing this or this. So it was more for live also offers, but it can do the trick also for tutorial. Yes, there is a couple of tools that can help you do, do this. Uh, I don't have names to be honest, but uh, there's a couple of them. Cool, that's awesome. I really appreciate that example. Continuing on, you know, so that would be a live phase uh, data-driven approach. And I think you mentioned like a pre-live of you know, talking to users. Um, do you ever use any of the external tools like App Annie or Game Refinery? You yeah. know, any of those for external research? I mean, as a PM for sure. I mean, on Game Refinery, <laughs> and it's basically my homepage at this point. Now, Game Refinery, <laughs> shout out, shout out to Game Refinery. They're they're great, great guys, great people. And um, yeah, this so this this is this lands in the realm of uh, of uh, analysis, market analysis. So when you're in pre-prod or production or you're trying to do a new game and you, and you don't have any, any hard data, you don't have soft launch data, the, what you can do is what you said, which is analyzing the, the games. So you say, okay, we are doing, I don't know, uh, another Clash Royale. It's a little bit late, but the example is there. <laughs> but yeah, we're doing another Clash Royale, right? So, um, okay, let's, let's an analyze Clash Royale. What features do they have? And play the game, play and play and play. And there was a good video on, on Game Maker 
the, the channel, the YouTube channel, that was actually talking about this, about deconstructing um, your competition, playing those games and getting screenshots and videos and understanding what they're doing right or wrong. This would be a, a good step. So I'll suggest taking uh, two, three games. It doesn't have to be the top grossing. It does, it does, I think it, you have to answer the question like, what are my potential players are playing currently? Because you don't, mm-hmm. in 2020, I don't think there's the, the, there's much left of the non-players. You know, so you, you you can't grab people that are not playing something else. And maybe there is, and maybe some UA specialists will tell me like, we will call my BS, but um, I don't think so. I think everyone is already playing something. So you have to understand what are my potential players are playing or currently playing. I don't know when you but when they did Coin Master, for example. They say, okay, where are my players? There's a couple of social Sino guy that are there that has been playing those games forever because they are all the same, more or less, with a couple of variations and a couple of live variations, but that's it. And then you have the idle, uh, you know, idle market. And if we merge sort of those and then we plug it in a progression, we could maybe we can tap into those two markets at the same time. And this is what they did. They created their own, their own bubble, their own game subgenre. Gen- I think it's called subgenre in game refinery. So yeah, this is very important for me. It's key. It's key. It's key to identifying your players way before you do the game. Yeah, I believe it. Yeah. So you know, you've you've been at GSM, which is a little bit more on like the social casino side of things uh, versus you know Ubisoft when you were doing you know Hungry Dragon. Would that be more of like a strategy type game, RPG kind of thing? No, it's arcade, arcade action. Market action, yeah. So you know, a few different varieties. Did you know, like, from a, a data perspective, is the data kind of the same in the way that you look at it, or are there differences between genres and how you approach things? I mean, the framework is the same. The the way mm-hmm. you analyzed the names might might change a little bit. Uh, you don't call the same stuff, you know, the same variables the same way. But the 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 idea and the concept is it's more or less the same when you analyze free to play games uh the, the 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 range of what you're getting from those players is can it can highly vary that that's that's for sure i don't have clear examples in my in my mind but you know it when you have for example we always say casual games or more like huge downloads and low monetization and then you have you know more core strategy games or more about you know that it drops the retention drops highly and then you everyone stays at 10 percent or 15 percent something crazy for for three years um yeah. not actual data obviously i don't know this those numbers i don't even work in our <laughs> strategy but yeah um this, those, those two game genres are very different and obviously you don't get the same you get the same names but you don't get the same data from them yeah. Oh, that's, that's really great. So, you know, in the context of, well, now that hopefully folks kind of understand what it means to be, you know, data driven. So, you know, there's some issue that's identified, either you find it yourself or an analyst comes and brings it to you. Um, and then it seems like the creative part is where you came to those hypotheses, right? So that's where you have to think about how can I solve that? You know, how, how can you actually be, you know, creative with that? Like, are a lot of ideas maybe just thrown out because, you know, they wouldn't work you within that context? Or so when you so yeah, they, most of the time we have an issue like you know retention is too low, D one is too low, whatever, or the story doesn't work. And yeah, the creative part is really finding solutions. 
uh, I think there's two types of solutions. First one will be to do uh, an iterative process like Zynga does, which is, you know, you take all the best games and say, okay, they are doing it like this. So we should do something like this and we should start at least by doing something less risky and we iterate based on this. So that would be the iterative approach, like a little bit like, you know, Red Ocean, a little bit style. And then you have the other style, which is like Supercell. It's like, oh, everyone is doing it like this, but they're all wrong. We should do it this way. And and then the, the and then you can be ultra creative. But the, the the beginning, the starting point is the same. You have an issue. It's like, okay, yeah, uh, the, the the engagement 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 is too low. We need to find a solution for this. Okay, maybe you will say, okay, yeah, but the competition does this. Maybe you should add you know those features and maybe daily missions or quests or guilds. Everyone is adding guilds, so let's go with guilds. Uh, this will improve for sure something, you know. And then you have the other approaches. We have a bit of people, the, the audience. The, even if they want this, they might be a, a creative, a more creative way to to solve the issues. And we can do something that would be a merge of this and this and this, and this will work because this would plug very well into our progression. So actually, I think designers in free to plays have actually more freedom than in AAA or console because. It's so crazy how fast you can get 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 features and stuff out there that you will get instant results. You know, when when you work on a Star Wars, uh, you know, single player experience, you don't have the luxury of saying, "Yeah, we're gonna try a new progression system." Uh, you don't have the same margin of freedom. You know, it's not the same. You can do something a little bit creative, but not that much, in my opinion, obviously. Definitely. So when you, when you do those types of tests and things, like, do you use any tools that allow you to just like change the first time user experience for like some of the people, but not for others, just kind of over the air or, you know, does that require like a monthly update, you know, to the client or does that kind of depend a little bit on how big the change is? I've, I've seen both. I've done both options. Uh, Definitely, there's a trend uh, on doing it with the server side, that's for sure. Um, if you can avoid doing uh, updates to change stuff, it's much better, always, all the time. So if you have the the infrastructure to be able to do it, uh, you should always aim at doing it like this. So um, you so you push a version. Maybe you can also push a version and then the rest does, is, is, is done server side. If you don't, most of, I mean, if the feature is not there, you have to implement it somewhere. That, that's for sure. Yeah. But at some point, yeah. there's, there's a lot of stuff that you can change on the fly and you can make people download new assets and download new stuff like this. This will be the, in my opinion, the best approach uh, to, be, yeah, to, be, to be completely transparent. It's awesome. Yeah, but it, this requires the infrastructure. Not everyone has it. So, yeah. <laughs> Might be interesting in investing in this if you build a gaming startup. Yeah. Well, let's uh, maybe switch gears a little bit and talk about um, you know live ops. Uh, it's super um, hot topic right now, I think, yeah. um, as you know everyone is doing it. You know, especially as you talk about like how do I get my engagement numbers up? I, I feel like a lot of it comes down to live ops and such. Um, so you know. I assume you've done some live ops in the past, but like, let's say I'm going to give you control of Clash Royale. Um, and I say, okay, can you help me plan, you know, a month's worth of events for Clash Royale? You know, what, what would that process look like? Um, what are the things that you would think about or, or want to look at to be able to build, you know, the best possible month's worth of events and offers? 
Okay, man, that's a that's such a big subject. Um, <laughs> yeah, I used to do live ops. I was a live ops manager in the past. Uh, so the so Clash Royale months months of event. So the first thing you need to know is what's what's your goal, what's your objective. If the objective is increasing, let's say monetization, that's always the best. You know, it's like yeah, we it's it's always easier in my opinion when you have a great game that re, that retains super well. It's it's easier to monetize later than just having a game that yep. people don't want to come back to play. So let's say we are mm-hmm. in this situation, and. Uh, we have a good retention, but we're looking for an improved monetization. So what I will do first, you need to create a cadence. You need to you need to start creating a cadence of events. So you, you need, first of all, you need those events. Let's say we have two types of, of live operations. There's the event and there's a couple of offers, right? Pop-ups and stuff like this. Stuff that, you know, come, pops in your face. So maybe it's uh, in Clash Royale, we might be may, maybe in the shop. You go to the shop and then there's an offer there for you to, yeah. to buy. And uh, let's start with events. So events, I would start understanding first in the past if we did events, um, what's the, how many events can we put uh, live in a month uh, to avoid people getting burned? Uh, because this can have all happen. So there's this two stuff that you need to avoid. First is economy destruction, <laughs> which is giving too many rewards <laughs> basically. Uh, always yeah. taking into account your whales and the way they're going to behave, the, the super engaged people. Okay, people are super engaged. They're going to destroy these events in two days, uh, even if it's a month-long event. How can we avoid this? And if they do, <laughs> how can we avoid them destroy, destroying everything in the economy? So that's the first thing. And the other one is boredom. Uh, people don't want to see events back to back and back to back. Always the same. Uh, I don't know. I don't have a clear example. Always the same challenge with the leaderboard. People are going to get bored. So you have to. You know, uh, a, gr- a great friend of mine. I don't remember uh, when we talk about this, but he did this chart when he was saying, "Okay, this is a highly engaged event. It's going. It scores a three out of ten, uh, three out of three, for example, engagement. And then we we're going to put a three. Then we're going to put a one. We're going to put a two. Then we're going to put a two or one. So you created this like user experience flow." of what we think is going to happen with those events. So you said we have a super engage, engaging event that you, you you have to be focused on it. And then we put something like, you can do more or less AFK. For example, something when you collect items in the gameplay and this fills a bar somewhere and you get rewards along the way. This is sort of AFK events. You don't have to do something specific. Yeah. Just play the game and you will get your rewards. So this is a low engagement event. So let's put one of those. And then we put uh, one competition. So this is super, you need to really be uh, focused on playing it. So I will define, I will start defining this, my cadence. And then based on this, I will try to plug um, monetization opportunities if there is. So if an event is asking you in, a, in Clash Royale, for example, to, um, let's say, uh, that will be hardcore and they will never do something like this, but this is good for the example. Uh, let's say an event that asks you to open chest, like open 10 chests and get an extra one. Um, that's half pay to pay. To, that's half pay to win. That's why they will never do it. But let's imagine, like, theoretically. Yep. So this event, I will say, okay, so maybe I will plug an offer that gives you five chests already so that you all, it already counts towards your event and you're sort of already, you know, you, you're ahead of the curve. So that's yeah. that, that, that's a good one. So I will start, you know, plugging some offers here and there. Uh, also, the other offers I'll try to segment them, meaning that will I will try to say, okay, maybe the payers are not really interested in the same offers as uh, non-payers that just started the game. So I'll try to also cut somewhere, and um, that will that will already give you a pretty good month. So you have your events, you have your your offers that go along them. 
and, and then then you will try also to block some communications on Facebook, social media, and stuff like this to, you know, to go even even beyond to to auto element the the, the loop basically. So yeah, I think that will I will start something like this. But yeah. that's like three minutes explaining a, a two-month <laughs> process. But so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, when you're thinking about designing those events themselves and or the offers themselves, I feel like um, something that has really resided with me lately is when you're a game designer, it's really important to design for your audience, not just what you're looking for. Um, and kind of what I mean by that is you know, anytime you have a game that has any amount of scale in it, uh, even when I'm playing with like three or four other friends, I feel like people get different things out of the same game experience. So, you know, if we're talking about Clash Royale, like some people might really just want to collect and level up all the different cards. Others might, you know, be trying to climb the leaderboards. Still other people are just really focused on those like social clan mechanics and stuff. So how do you effectively um, you know, balance for that and the offers that you're creating or the events that you're doing so that each of those different segments are engaged or you, do you just kind of like try to make it agnostic so that everyone can do it or do you have any recommendations on how to handle that? Mm, okay. That's also a big question. Nice questions, Tom. Uh, <laughs> no, that's a, that's a big one. So then you, you should always try to so first, identify which which segments, which so which persona, sort of, because it's sort of a persona. Uh, people that wants to collect, people that wants to compete, and uh, some some sites uh, have great analysis on this. And uh, identify which one is the leading one, because that's important. Because we are where is the money basically? Where are the whales? Uh, you don't want to piss them off, obviously, for uh, <laughs> obvious reasons. And um, first, you try. You should. You should try to design a little bit for them what they might be interested in. Doesn't mean what they are gonna like, but what they are gonna maybe uh, might be interested in. So I will. I will start with this. So to avoid destroying this, and then I will design. Uh, you know, side side options in the event. There's a great example in a game called Summoner's War, which is a, you know, battle or RPG mm -hmm. team collecting game. Um, so in this one, the events, they always have an option for the people that are all interested in collection to progress in the event just by summoning monsters. And this is also, so this is a, good, a very good feature because it's, 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 it's a double feature. It, it helps the, the people that don't want to really play the game and don't have time. And it's also a paying options to complete the event faster. So, you know, you always, it's, 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 if you can, try to open those side doors for people that are not the core, uh, the core audience to be, for, for them to be able to participate in the event or to also engage. Also, it's great if you can make people, make, try to change the way people behave to make more make more people enter the main the leading persona so that you have more cash basically so you can monetize make them a little bit better if this is what your game is good at basically i don't just make sense yeah. no that's that's really great um that definitely helps with events and stuff have you ever done more of like personalized offers like i i know in particular and i i won't name the name of the game but it was an rpg game and i downloaded it um, and you start out, you're like this uh, knight and they give you a sword and you're just like kind of slashing through, you know, skeletons and stuff. And uh, a few minutes in, like it was, it was pretty fun. Um, 
they gave me this offer for, I don't know, a couple bucks, five bucks. I don't know. And it was like this huge sword upgrade and like a beefy set of armor and you could just like pop it on. So I purchased it and I like, I was just going to town, like (laughs) beating the levels and stuff. Um, and after, I don't know, five levels or so, my sword kind of sucks because you have to keep kind of leveling it up to, to stay on par. Um, and they threw me another offer and, uh, instead of like the next iteration so that I can keep just like crushing it, it was like a a level one, like ax or something. So it was like way worse than where my sword is right now. I couldn't use it. I'd have to spend a bunch more money to like level it up even to where it is not, not nearly where I wanted it to be. And I was like, well, that's, this just isn't fun. Uh, I kept playing for a little bit and eventually I just kind of quit because they kept like forcing that kind of thing on me. And I assume they probably make some money from people that do that. But, and, you know, at some level they were probably trying to protect their, you know, in the game and metagame and stuff like that. But to me, it just felt like they didn't give me the offer to allow me to play the game the way that I wanted to engage in, in it, which was just be like overpowered and crush things. Um, and so, you know, what, what's your thoughts with like personalized offers based on like what people want to do? I think you were in A-B test and your, your variant wasn't the winner. <laughs> no, the, um, this is, so this might be a couple, so this might be different. So the, the first one was definitely a starter pack. That's it's the same for everyone. Because when, when you do starter packs, something that I noticed uh, other uh, colleagues of me are doing in other companies is like you start with the starter pack and then you based on what people do with the starter pack you do something else so it's like oh, is it is the player uh, buying at this moment so if he is then c- what can we offer that is great and then you do a cascade you do a cascade of offers you know with the true false and true false and true false and you you go down like this so this is a this is one option and I think this is what happened with you. You had this one and then they plugged it to another one. But the other one I don't think was segmented. Honestly, I, would, I think it was a progression offer. I think it was an offer that was triggered when you reach a certain point in the game. So it was not a personalized offer. It was just an offer that was triggered like this. You can do triggering plus personalized. And I think this is what they should be aiming to uh, identify. So maybe segment by power level if they can do it or, you know, in. If you are, I think just in this case, just doing something like payer non-payer will have solved the, already the 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 issue because they they will have noticed that you were a payer, so they might be might be offering you something to upsell you a little bit. You know, okay, he spent five, so let's give him ten, and just by giving something that's higher in the price, you will be you will have a greater value, so you have better item automatically if you do your bundle correctly. So by just by just doing this, they will have solved the issue. Maybe I'm not a, I'm not a mage or a, <laughs> but you know I would I would start with something like this just to see how they react and then you can maybe test a couple of those just to see price points. Yeah, you do you know one or two try three price points and you check uh, if people are really interested at this moment in the game if they react better to the five again or to the tail. Uh, let's do some. You can also play with some offers that have different layouts. Maybe there's two offers in the same pop up and you can choose one. Something like mm. this. There's a lot of tricks that you can do. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever incorporated any sort of like human psychology into the ways that you do offers? Like, um, as an example, um, I, I will say the name of the game because I really love how they do this. But in Game of Thrones Conquest, right after you complete your tutorial at the very end of it, they hit you with a big screen that says, like, you know, here's your own dragon egg, like, treat it well, grow it into a dragon. And then immediately after that, they hit you with a screen 
hatch your dragon right now worded a little bit better. Um, yeah. <laughs> and if you actually look at the details of the offer, it's like just like a bunch of wood and ore and other stuff that you need to like go through the process of hashing the dragon. Uh, but players don't care about that. Like they care about the raw emotion of like, oh, I get to have my own dragon right now, which everyone playing, you know, a Game of Thrones game obviously wants their own dragon. Yeah. So it's just like this double play of like, oh, I just got the gift of it. And now I can kind of give back a little bit, but like, have that emotional experience that I connect with rather than just like uh, an offer that pops up. That's like a bunch of wood and stuff that I don't even know what I'm buying. Definitely. Um, this is great because the, the value proposition is, is clear when you, you understand right away, even if, even if the wording was better, even you, you, you the way you explained it to me was like, I got a pop-up and the pop-up was saying hatched now. So yeah, I want to hatch. Now. It makes sense, even if they give you currency to do it in the tutorial or whatever. The the value proposition is great. Uh, so this is another creative freedom that we have when we design free to play games. You know, you can. This is great. I, in my experience, I I don't think I've never reached uh, such a level of creativity with offers. Um, but this is this is a very good idea. Yeah, I would encourage people to do this if they can. So this is adding more. Mm, like narrative context or context to your offers. So the offer makes sense in this context. Um, what I did, however, was uh, there's a like clash, clash, tennis clash does it very well. When there's a tournament, they say, hey, this is the you know, Roland Garros tournament. This is not the naming they have, but more and more or less, you know. <laughs> and they say, hey, here is the branded offer that goes with it. It's like a Roland Garros offer. Oh man, okay, so this goes with the event. Makes sense, you know. Uh, this is definitely better if you can do it. Uh, even just branding, uh, branding them the pop up, or you can also use annual events to do this. It's Christmas offers or Fourth uh, of July offer if you're in the US, or I don't know if you're in other countries. Every country has its own, you know. But, you know, if you can do geo style, that's it. that's even harder. Have you ever done any sort of regional type of live ops? No, I, I mean I've, I've, I was focused on US. So, but I, I, I've never done the, this is a, you need to, it's, I, I hear, I heard people doing it. I know some people that did it. It's cool, but it's hard and you need a team to do it because uh, live ops mm-hmm. is not an easy, it's not you click a button and the event goes live. You have to upload images and upload pop-ups and uh, set up events and balance the events. So this is, so if you do it by geo, <laughs> It's, it's like triple the job. It's very hard. But you can do what, you know, what uh, more or less what Housestone does, which is you have three servers, uh, one Asia, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, and then based on this, sometimes the event don't start at the same time and stuff like this. This, yes, this this is a little bit easier for sure. Mm. I've never considered that before. That's very interesting. Mm-hmm. Here's another thing I've been hearing a lot about. Um, mm-hmm. So notifications. Notifications have been around for a while. Yeah. Um, and I feel like early on notifications kind of got a bad, bad stigma. And maybe some of that even came from before we even really went to mobile when we had Facebook games where like your status was just getting clogged with like invites from all these different games. Um, you know, what are your thoughts or experiences with notifications? The good old days from Facebook. I used to, I, I did a project on Facebook, it was fun, uh, but it was different for sure. Um, they, they, I think the notifications are important, 
but I would not expect super high uh, results from them. I would not expect game changing. They are good as a micro adjustment, in my opinion. I think this is great as an adjustment that you will not get a super high uplift because you didn't have notification and now you have them. That's my that that's what I would say. Um, and people tend to deactivate them and the iOS and Android they they make it even easier. You know, sometimes in in Android you just tap the, the the game and you say don't see notification and never again. So uh, it's a great tool and it's I think the if you want to do it you have to do it right, which is identifying the when you send them. Uh, how many games are sending me a notification at 3 a.m. in the morning? Please do it by pl player time, uh, once and for all. Uh, <laughs> and uh, identify when you can do it. You know, uh, you can. Everyone is using the 8, 9 a.m. and then you know when people are out of work at the end, uh, in the 6 or 7 p.m. Uh, this will be so. If you want to do it, do it right. That's what I'm saying. And, I, and don't expect a huge uplift from this type of feature. Um, because it, I don't think it will. I don't think it will give you the this type of uplift. The click-through rates are, are good, but they are not huge. So I would not expect too much. But this is good to have them. At least you can grab a couple more players. I would not start with this if we have an issue with engagement. I will not start with this, for example. Interesting. So even if it's about like, oh, we've added all these new events. How do we get all these people kind of back into it? Kind of a thing. This you can, this you can or... do it. Yeah, as a, as a reminder. But again, you know, it's always the same. You know, people that are going to be engaged with your game, they're going to be playing in your game. They are playing the game every day. They don't, re they don't read reminding that something is happening. Uh, people yeah. that needs a reminder are the ones that are less engaged. They monetize less. That are you know, obviously that have the yeah. worst KPIs. That's that's what I think. But it's good. You know, it's always good to have a quick reminder. Uh, but you know, when you're someone like me that has, you know, I don't know, 200 gigas of of games installed, uh, it gets uh, it gets difficult. <laughs> yeah, I have I have way too many, um, but uh, it's it's a fun little pastime you get to get to play. But I, I still get drawn back to certain games sometimes. Yeah, I've been playing the same game for four years at this point. So, <laughs> what's your what's your mobile game of choice? Summoners War is my. It's my uh, it's my nemesis. Been playing for four years. Mm, we have our own guild and stuff, so it's uh, very difficult to to switch. I've tried, and I and I love RPGs game, and I love to play RPGs. But I've tried, I've tried them all. Uh, AFK. I've tried uh, um, Heroes Charge and all all this stuff, and even Idol Heroes and stuff. I tried to, to to switch gears a little bit, just for fun, just to see what's up and. Uh, Always came back to summer. I think this is there is something very strong about the the progression. Uh, it's very hard to make someone drop when they have two years of progress and items and stuff accumulated. This is very strong in free to play games, and uh, this is also why it's very hard to. The, this is also why it's it's, it's even exp more expensive to buy people out of some games because they are yep. engaged with those games for years. So it's super hard. Yeah, I think I mentioned something about that one time on a LinkedIn post where I kind of said, you know, UA used to be hard where you had to prove that your game was fun, but now it's so much harder because you have to prove that your game is not only fun, but it's more fun and it's worth starting from scratch and exactly. abandoning all the existing progress and stuff that you have. So like, unless your game, you know, either bores you, you finally hit that boredom point or, you know, they piss you off enough that you're actively looking for something, it's really hard yeah. to get those players to switch, I feel. 
Yeah. That's exactly it. Exactly it. <laughs> On the uh, the theme of Summoner's War, have you learned anything that you've taken to other games? Any like tips or tricks or strategies that you've seen? Uh, the first thing I learned uh, is the love of the gacha. And not so this could be, I, I have in mind a series of articles about the gacha because I think everyone is getting this wrong. And loot boxes and the hate. And you, if you check Reddit, everyone hates it. But um, <laughs> I, th- I, I used to love, I, I used to say, yeah, loot boxes and stuff. It's not really. And then I got addicted to Counter-Strike and <laughs> to those boxes. And then Summoner's War came and I really understood the value of the gacha as a social feature. Because it's not only the experience that you get from opening boxes or in this case summons, it's also doing it with your friends and doing it with, you know, there was sort of a ritual when we were summoning because everyone was saving all the summons and we came, we came all together at the bar or something. And then we summoned all. And then when there was something good, everyone was getting excited. And um, I think this taught me that the, and then in the game, you have the chat. In the chat, you can, you can see when someone gets something good. And it's like, oh, man, he got this. He got this panda or whatever he got. And this is big rate. And it's a five-star. And it's a good unit. And I learned this. I learned the power of the gacha as a, not only as a monetization feature, but because this comes later, just as a, as a user experience. And I think this is what people don't get right when they do gachas. And they, they assume that the gacha works just because it's like this and it's random. Yeah, it's good. It's ultra scalable and it's going to scale and stuff. Don't forget about the user experience because this is what makes your gacha great. And this is what someone else told me. Even if their uh, animation is crappy and stuff, everything that goes around, you know, the, there's videos of influencers on YouTube opening opening scrolls, opening summons, and it's great and check and they're getting excited and in the chat when you get something people are excited and when you see something good on the opponent team and you're like oh man this is great because I know how hard it is and this whole package here we don't we don't we're not even talking about the balancing and monetization yet but this is super important and yeah I would suggest for people doing gacha games to just watch uh, a lot of gacha videos on YouTube check how they do it like, is it like a small stuff that you touch? Do you touch the screen? Do you, is it a two-phase stuff, a one-phase stuff? Do you, can you pre-tease a little bit what you're going to get? Um, you should. And is it like in Hearthstone when you see the glow and you're, like, you're getting excited, you know, oh, man, oh, this is a great card. I'm going to get it. And yeah, I would suggest doing it. I, I'm really passionate about this. <laughs> Someone also told me a, the, a, great, a great deal about this, about the getcha and what not to do and how to do it. That's, that's really, really great. Um, yeah, other, you know, I think the last thing we might talk a little bit about, um, what tools, systems, or, or teams do you think is super important to have in place uh, to be able to, one, you know, be data-driven, and two, you know, especially with planning of live ops and stuff, like, what all do you need to be able to, you know, run a game effectively? Like if I had to build a startup now, what would I start with? <laughs> yeah, what's, what's, what's the minimum threshold that you would need to be able to, you know, plan that, uh, you know, set of events and, and push them out um, at a regular cadence, et cetera, okay. and analyze th- and learn, obviously. I, I think one of the first mistakes is assuming your design team will be able to manage the stuff. 
uh, I think you need someone in charge of the live ops of the calendar, what's happening and stuff. Um, this might be uh, pretty standard for the company, but I know other companies that don't do it. And uh, it tends to get crazy because this is a full-time job. This is not something that you do on the site sometimes. And you're like, yeah, oh, by the way, we did this event and it went great. It went great. Uh, no, you need, I think you need someone in charge of this. That will be the first step. And um, also designer for live ops and designer for features is a totally different job. So B, uh, the same person can do the planning and the setup, but it, it, you, you will get burned down because it's a big, it's, it's, there's a huge amount of work in there. So I would suggest having someone in charge of planning calendar and maybe set up at the same time and uh, have the, if I will start with the third party, if I don't, if I can't do my own in-house uh, infrastructure, so third party with all push notification and pop-ups and stuff like this. And uh, you need a data analyst all the time. Same, don't expect your designers to know SQL and Python. Uh, some might, some others, <laughs> most of them won't. So I would suggest the trio, which is, you know, um, a manager a or some sort of uh, yeah, planner then a, a data analyst that is really focused on this, and then a game designers that is really system focused. Uh, I think it's very important in free-to-play games to be super system focused. Uh, there's no, there's less place for narration and great stories and stuff like this in LiveOps. I think LiveOps is really about the numbers and we got this and how do we, make this event even better and your creativity is more in there and less in the crafting something from scratch and checking if the audience like it it's more we have the direction how can we go in this direction to improve the game even better so we'll start with this a three a trio of data analysts plus one planner plus one sort of game designer plus, yeah something like this maybe the planner can be a pm so you have a pm designer and a data analyst that would be a classic trio right i will start yeah. with this to be to be completely honest. Cool. That's great. Uh, one last question I'll throw out because this is the Mastering Retention Podcast. What's yeah. one tip or trick you can share that folks might be able to use to boost their retention? Make the game great. <laughs> now, retention <laughs> is really about the... I think retention is about the experience that you're, that you're providing and less about mechanics. Or It's really about play your own game. Play your own game a lot and erase your brain, <laughs> erase everything you know, and play the game from scratch. And, like, and put your hands in the hands of, your games in the hands of kids or your grandmother, or even if they are the target better, if they, even if they are not just to understand what's up, you know. You can check videos, if you can grab some players with videos and stuff like this. But yeah, I would suggest focus on what is the experience that you're providing and try to control this as much as you can so that you're, uh, you know, you're avoiding wild uh, hypothesis of people don't get this or people don't understand that, that the game is different for everyone because you have your own little story. This is, this is harder to, to do because it's harder to control. So the, the, more, the, the more you can control your, your experience, the better it will be for your attention, in my opinion. Awesome. That's fantastic. Yeah. Well, Hadrian, thank you so much for uh, joining us on the podcast today. This has been super insightful. Uh, hopefully everyone, you know, learned a lot. Uh, if they have any questions or follow-ups, is there a, a way that they could contact you? 
LinkedIn. LinkedIn is the way. LinkedIn. I'm always on LinkedIn all the time. Uh, all the time, man. I'm going <laughs> to get in trouble. <laughs> now, yeah, Hadrian, Hadrian Semrudon on LinkedIn. Uh, Hadrian with an H. Uh, I'm sure there's a couple of those. I might be the first on the list. And yeah, hook me up on LinkedIn for sure. Cool. Well, thank you so much. Uh, appreciate your time and have a great one. Thank you, Tom.